Hello and welcome back to another episode of Conf Tea with URSC. I am your host, Brian Young. I'm joined by my new co-host, Mr. Tom Porto. How are you, sir? Very well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Now, now, Tom, I have to ask, what is the castle behind you? That's frozen. That's Arendelle right there. <laughs> Listen, you want to build a snowman? <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. We might get a letter from Disney there. But oh. yes, I would love to build a snowman next year. We're getting into spring now. I don't want to go back to the snow. I'm, I'm done. I want some warm weather. Let's go. Um, Agreed. So, so why, why do you have Arendelle in your, in your office there? I'm, I'm, I'm currently in my daughter's twin daughter's playroom uh, while my office is being finished. So a couple weeks, I'll be out of here. A couple more weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, don't get uh, too distracted with the Arendelle castle. And um, we also have a guest here, but before we introduce him, a few things you want to go over. I uh, want to mention that Cisco Live is next week, March 30th through April 1st. Um, there are two registration tiers. There is the Explorer Path, which is free, or the All Access, which is only $349 or four learning credits. Again, with COVID, just like last year, this is going to be an all remote digital session. Uh, but the All Access tier does give you a lot of really good benefits, including access to the technical breakout sessions, uh, hands-on labs, and DevNet workshop, uh, meet the engineer sessions, and some discounted certification offers. So please go to Cisco.com. Sorry, please go to CiscoLive.com to learn more and to register today. Also want to let you guys know about a, a really cool Discord server that we came across. We have been uh, talking with the guys from the All About, I'm sorry, the Art of Network Engineering podcast, and they have a Discord server called It's All About the Journey. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes, but we highly recommend you check it out. It's great for people that are just getting started in IT or even veterans that have been in the in the industry for a long time. It's all about networking, helping each other out. You know, it's it's a really cool thing. So be sure to check it out. Again, link in the show notes and come say hi to myself, uh, Conf T. Brian, or Tom P. The SE, which would be Mr. Tom Porto. And uh, be sure to say hello. So on that note, we'll go over to our guest here, Mr. Keith Manville. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing good. Keith, uh, welcome back to the show. You were on, I think you were on one of the single digit episodes now. About two years ago. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so Keith, you're a technical solutions architect for um, for what exactly? So technical solutions architect covering the um, advanced threats portfolio, um, secure endpoint, formerly known as AMP for endpoints. That's my specialty. That's what I uh, live and breathe and, and do every day. Awesome. So today's topic is all about threat hunting with AMP. So um, let's just dive right into it, man. So AMP for Endpoints has been, uh, again, a topic that we covered before. Uh, we kind of went over the ins and outs of it. There's been a lot of changes and a lot of just new developments and features that have come out since we last spoke. So it was a good idea to get you back on the episode. Um so tell me, uh, what's what are we doing with threat hunting with AMP now? Let's let's kind of go through what is what is the the process of threat hunting first. <clears throat> All right. So if we take a step back, um, what is threat hunting? Um, it's proactively searching your environment for what I call the little breadcrumbs that would would lead to um, the the existence of an advanced persistence persistent threat in your environment. Um, so an example of that would be maybe searching for a registry key that an attacker set 
those kind of things. So, you know, secure endpoint, formerly known as AMP for endpoints, um, really good at detecting uh, those malicious files, uh, those suspicious behaviors. Uh, but what about, like I call them earlier, the little breadcrumbs, right? The, the, the evidence that something bad has happened. Um, that's where we have made improvements to the product, and that's where we're able to do this proactive threat hunting um, and, and really try to find those uh, those advanced persistent threats. How do we go about determining what those breadcrumbs are? Um, you know, like you mentioned, registry key. How would I know that there's a specific type of registry key that I should be looking for? Right. So um, a good starting point would be the uh, MITRE ATT&CK framework. And um, uh, for those that don't know, MITRE ATT&CK framework um, is, is a um, repository of uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures that the MITRE Corporation has collected and um, put into this catalog that allows us to understand what attackers typically do. Okay, so there's, there's a bunch of different categories. Uh, for example, um, persistence would be a category. What do they do in terms of persistence? Well, they create scheduled tasks, they create registry keys that auto-run programs, those types of things. So for me, threat hunting, I'm going to start with, um, with the MITRE ATT&CK framework uh, and, and really go through each one. Maybe this week I'm going to focus on um, persistence, for example. Maybe next week I'll focus on credentialed access, those kind of things. And I'll start to um, design hunts based on that that framework. So once you have that framework in my, you know, set up, right? We've we've got the the pieces, we got the registry keys, or certain things mm-hmm. that we know that we're going to be looking for. Uh, what would be the next step? What what kind of tools would be we would be be using? Is it um, is it now? I'm sorry, you mentioned before, AMP for endpoints. There's a new name for it. Yes, right. What is the secure name? secure endpoint? So we've rebranded the portfolio to be secure product, right? So AMP for endpoints became secure endpoint. Uh, email security, formerly known as Ironport, that became secure email, et cetera. Okay, so secure endpoint, because I want to make sure I'm using the right term here. Correct. So secure endpoint, is that the only tool that we're going to be using for threat hunting, or is there other tools that we could be using inside or outside of Cisco? So, so really when we're doing threat hunting, we need to be able to um, query our endpoints, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, within secure endpoint, we've added a functionality or, or um, a component called Orbital. Orbital is basically um, Cisco's um, version of OS query. Okay, And really what that does is it, it turns your endpoints into little databases that we can ask questions of. So for example, um, query my endpoints for the existence of a registry key that's going to start up um, a file or even searching for a file, right? So, so within AMP for endpoints, I can search for uh, when, when a file is moved, copy, created, or executed. But what about that file that's just sitting there doing nothing? I can use Orbital to go search for that. So again, searching for the breadcrumbs, asking questions of my endpoints, um, I would definitely use um, Orbital to do those types of things. So <clears throat> explain to me a little bit more um, how, how or- the Orbital engine works, because I've been, I've been kind of seeing this, um, you know, show up in a lot of the, the, the updates and the, 
feature releases and stuff. And I know, I know it's something that I want to use. Um, but if you could kind of just go through, you know, the, the steps there and what it does, uh, a little bit more in depth. Sure. It's, it's fantastic. Um, this is something that I was really excited about being, being a former, um, database administrator. Um, I, I kind of gravitated towards this, this product, um, just kind of naturally. Um, and really what's happening here is little tables are, are built on the endpoint. So if I just kind of focus on the endpoint for, for, for uh, a few minutes here, Orbital, again, it's, it's OS query under the hood, but Orbital will um, create these little tables, these virtual tables that collect data from my endpoint for me. And um, let's say I want to ask my endpoints, do they have a certain hotfix or patch installed? Well, then I can write a query, and the query looks like um, just your kind of structured query language or SQL. Again, another reason why I sort of gravitated towards this. Uh, that, that was in my background, so it came naturally for me. So select star where, you know, for example, does this patch exist on these endpoints? And I can get that answer very quickly. Yes, these machines have this patch installed. These, these don't. Um, so all of that info came from the little virtual table that was created on the endpoint. And, and really where the power of Orbital comes is when you, when you scale it out. So not just asking one um, endpoint, do you have this patch installed, but asking across your entire fleet, um, which endpoints don't have this patch installed, for example. And then I can, um, I can distill that down to, to endpoints that I want to focus on. Well, how come they don't have this patch installed? Just an example there of using another query to get that data back to me and then go from there. So it really allows you to, to kind of search by whatever you want there versus just relying on some pre-built query. You can really just make your own. It's, you know, the thing about OS query is um, OS query was originally created by Facebook. Um, it is now um, maintained by the Linux Foundation. Okay, so it's open source. And so different companies will start to um, instantiate their own version of, of that functionality. Like we did, we call it Orbital, right? Um, but really, uh, I bring that up because there are repositories online that have sample queries that you can run. Um, Cisco, will, will, we post our own in our Talos blog. There may be um, a threat and they may list a query. Hey, run this query in your environment, for example, to detect this behavior. Um, other vendors create queries uh, for OS query that we can we can leverage as well. So, really, and, and you can, as you said, you can write your own. So, if if you can if you can think it and the table exists in the schema, which which is open source, again, you can go look what the schema is. Then you can certainly write those queries. You could get really advanced queries that do joins and um, you know inner joins, outer joins, all that good stuff. Or it can just be something simple like. Um, um, who, who's the logged on user right now? Select star from logged on users, something like that. Wow, that is that is very powerful. So, and you don't necessarily need to have the the SQL not a writing knowledge and background, right? You can just go ahead and grab a couple of pre made queries and just copy and paste it right in. Yeah, that's a good point. So, again, for me, I I kind of um, I, I took an interest in trying to write my own queries, uh, but 
Cisco, you know, in our version of OS Query inside of Orbital, we have um, pre-made or, or canned queries that you can literally just click the little plus button on and, and they, that query is ready to run in your environment. So an example of this use case would be um, searching for um, a vulnerable, vulnerable systems to a specific threat. And, and, you know, one of the examples that we have is, one, uh, do these systems have a, this patch installed? Yes or no? Okay, that's great. But two, do these systems technically, are they still vulnerable to this, um, the, the exploit, for example? Um, is this port opened or whatever, whatever is associated with the um, vulnerability? So you can really make, make these uh, as complex as you want, or you can just simply add the pre-canned queries in and, and go from there. So it's, it's low barriers to entry. Very nice. So, so, all right, let's say, let's say that you've gone through orbital and you've run a particular query, right? You're looking for a registry key that's linked with some campaign that has been in the news lately. And you find three endpoints that have that registry key. What can you do there? So this is where we tie in um, SecureX. So if, for those who haven't heard of SecureX yet, this is our um, security platform. It's really where all of the security, um, Cisco security products um, get tied together, get integrated together. And in your example there, um, let's say I'm doing a, um, a proactive threat hunt. And, and based on my um, threat intelligence, I've determined that I want to go search my environment for the existence of a registry key that maybe automatically starts up a, a program on, on system reboot. So I drag that query into the editor and I click execute. And, and like, you've, um, like you've said, three systems show up that have that registry key there. Well, what can I do next? Well, with uh, SecureX, I can leverage orchestration to go ahead and um, perform response actions. So maybe I want to um, isolate those systems. Okay, so literally um, clicking the IP address, I'll get a menu using the browser extension, and I can add those hosts to um, an isolated an isolation policy. Okay, though so that'd be step one for me. Step two, uh, maybe I want to gather more data, and for that, I'll use what we call a forensic snapshot. A forensic snapshot is the closest thing to a. Um, a, um, a dump of the live memory that we can get without rebooting the system. And, and what I'll use this for is um, just to gather um, what was happening on that system at that point in time. So what users are logged on, what ports are open, what processes are running, those types of things. And really what a forensic snapshot is under the hood, it's a collection of oh, uh, orbital queries, right? So maybe there's 10 or so in there. Go um, get get the answers to these questions. Catalog that inside the secure endpoint um, console, which would allow me to look into that deeper and understand what was going on. So, if I found three machines, the first thing I'd probably do is isolate those, gather the forensic snapshot to see what what else is running, um, and then then after I get that information, I can I can proceed further with my um, incident response type flow. Now, with with the orchestration here, how much of that, I mean, how much of this can be automated? I mean, if I if I want to go ahead and, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at it in, in 
in you know kind of real time right where i'm i'm saying okay i ran an orbital search i found a bunch of stuff now i'm going to go in secure x and i'm going to set it up to you know take a forensic snapshot isolate the endpoint and then i can work on it later um and this is something that i imagine with secure x that we can kind of set up as an automatic kind of i i don't know how the the term would be but we could set it up to happen automatically where hey next time that this uh this particular registry key is found go ahead and start running through these steps is that is that doable or 100 percent. so i like to break this into two different sections the first piece um of let's let's talk about automation right so the first piece here is when secure endpoint detects a when i guess an event right and let's say that event is at a certain severity level I want Secure Endpoint to do something automatically. Forensic snapshot, isolate host, move computer to a different group, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. That's, that is literally no code. It's just turning it on and it will do that when an event of specified severity is detected. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side of that, which kind of you were getting into, would be automating actions after a threat hunt, for example. So if I'm leveraging... If I'm leveraging Orbital to search my environment for something, then I can also leverage SecureX orchestration to go ahead and do something if, you know, if the uh, query returns something interesting for me. And again, that, now that one I, I would call as low to no code because uh, the orchestration components, you're literally dragging things onto the canvas doing some some light configuration and uh, we can we can have orchestration kick off um, isolation for us or, um, submit file to, uh, our, uh, sandbox, right? ThreatGrid, secure malware analytics is what it's called now. So all of those response actions that you'd like to do in the event of, of something being detected or, um, in the event of a threat hunt that produced something, we can leverage SecureX orchestration to, to automate that and really make our jobs as defenders easier. Which is not an easy job. No. <laughs> Tom, anything you want to ask? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, Keith, how, how about, uh, you know, is there any OS limitation to using Orbital? Does it only work with Windows? How does that look? Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, it was first created for um, Linux systems. Hmm. Now, Cisco's implementation of OS query called Orbital, that's currently uh, working for uh, Windows systems. Uh, that's our largest footprint, so we focus there first. Uh, we'll be releasing um, Orbital for uh, Mac OS uh, in the near future as well as Linux. Awesome. Nice. And how about um, so? How do we interface with Orbital? Right? Is it is it a website we go to? Is it an API? Does it have an API that can be queried outside of its regular interface? How does that work? Sure. So. Um, oh, let's go to the API piece first. Um, all of our stuff has APIs. And that's kind of one of our uh, foundational tenants. Um, Orbital also has an API, so we can um, we can leverage that to to programmatically do things with Orbital. Um, how do we access Orbital? Well, we can um, pivot right from SecureX. So if I'm if I'm in the ribbon uh, within SecureX, or if, if I'm in Threat Response in SecureX. Or if I'm in uh, secure endpoint, I can pivot right to 
the orbital console to to run those queries. Um, again, we could we could potentially leverage SecureX orchestration to automate some of those queries, and I can I can kick those off right from either the browser extension or um, or any other context menus that give me that option. Awesome. So, Keith, you mentioned the endpoint isolation piece. Now, I remember when this feature came out, I was skeptical. And when I tried it, I was very impressed. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think endpoint isolation was around when we first did our, our last recording with you. So can we talk a little bit about what it is, how it works, how it can be modified and, and just how effective it is? Sure. Yeah, it definitely was not um, available then. Uh, I don't recall talking about it, but I, I do recall being excited for it to come. So Endpoint isolation um, essentially knocks the system off the network, okay? And the, the, the power of this is um, it doesn't have to be local, okay? With this whole work from home stuff, if, if I have a, a threat, a severe threat detected on a remote machine, I can leverage endpoint isolation from within secure endpoint to go ahead and isolate that machine as well. Um, the beauty of it is uh, the isolation allows communication back to uh, the AMP cloud to persist. So we can do things like forensic snapshots and digging into device trajectory or kicking off scans, those kinds of things. I can still do that even though a machine has been isolated. But I'm preventing any, uh, any maliciousness from uh, moving laterally, for example. Now... Um, it it is very fast. Um, so once I once I um, turn isolation on for for a machine, it happens um, almost instantly. Right. And um, like I said, we'll allow the communications to persist out to the AMP cloud. But I can also specify um, IP addresses that I want to um, allow. So I always tell customers this is useful. Where if I have a um, maybe a uh, security kind of management machine that I want to remote desktop into this machine from, well, then I can allow my IP address to uh, persist through the, um, the isolation. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Um, and again, all, all those things, again, I was a little skeptical because, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting endpoint isolation and you're expecting, okay, it's going to heartbeat in like 30 seconds, a couple minutes, whatever. No, instantly, mm -hmm. you know, you're running a ping and you start seeing general failure, general failure, general failure, and you stop isolation and, hey, all of a sudden you're getting your, your replies back. Um, and the other thing that I noticed, too, when we were talking, because we've been talking about automation, right? Um, <clears throat> remind me where it is, but there's the triggered, ac I think it's triggered actions. Is that what it's, it's called in the menu? Automated actions. Automated actions. So automated actions in the... Um, secure endpoint dashboard um, will will uh, allow you to turn on a feature and you can adjust it where if there's a certain number of a specified level of events that happen, right, whether it's high or critical that happen in a certain amount of time, just automatically turn on endpoint isolation. Now, I have gotten burned. I have seen customers get burned by this. Be careful, right? You want to make sure that you're also setting up uh, notifications to be sent to your email when endpoints are isolated so that you know and you're not trying to figure out why won't this thing connect to the internet? Um, that's why. But 
Yep. All that aside, very effective tool. And again, if you have a piece of malware that's active on that machine, you don't want it talking to the local internet. You don't want to talk into a command and control server. You you want it to just be isolated. And this is by far the fastest and easiest way to do some type of basically NAC control, right? You, you think of you know the way ICE does it, right? We with um, uh, remediation VLANs and change of authorization. That's all well and good on the network, right. and it takes a lot to get there. Whereas with Secure Endpoint, you just deploy the software; it's there. You hit isolation, you set up your rules, you set up your automation piece, and it works. So really, really cool stuff there. Tom, I don't know if you had any, any other questions you wanted to, or anything you wanted to add there. I don't. It is, it is a really cool, it is a very cool feature, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Keith, unless you had anything else on the, isol- on the endpoint isolation stuff, I wanted to kind of talk about the the engines that make up the secure endpoint product. So let's kind of go through those if you would. Um, I know there's quite a few. Uh, we can just kind of touch on them and, and kind of understand what they do and why this product is is as good as it is. Sure. So let's start with kind of a basic um, a basic engine that is kind of the bread and butter, the 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 file or that the hash lookup. So so is is this is this file good or bad? Right. So it's a simple calculate the hash, ask the AMP cloud, do we know about this? Yes or no. Right. That's table stakes. And that's um, and that's very fast. All things considered, correct. right? The, the the lookup is very fast. We're talking milliseconds. Right. Okay. Um the, the next the next if I kind of go down the chain here, the next one is is gonna start to be um in line with different types of attacks. So we have an engine that um looks at behavior that is specific to ransomware, right? So what does ransomware look like? Encrypting encrypting files changing the desktop background, those types of things. So we string that that uh, chain of behaviors together and we can detect that as ransomware and go ahead and um, stop the behavior from happening, quarantine the, the process that started it. And then like you've noted earlier, if we've got automated actions configured, isolate that host, those types of things, Cap- capture the forensic snapshot. Mm-hmm. Now we also have engines that look at um, memory-based attacks. Right, so we're looking for those applications that are typically exploited, and uh, what we're doing is we're basically setting up a. I like to think of it as a honeypot on the system, and so if attackers are trying to go after my um, my uh, browser, for example, well, they're going to go to the location where they think it is, and I've already moved it somewhere else. So when you go there, I know that you're a malicious you're a malicious actor because I I've already moved you. The system knows I moved you but the attacker doesn't. So th- that type of engine um, really helps us uh, prevent those uh, memory-based attacks. Um, another engine that's really powerful here is our uh, uh, system process protection. And, and this engine really protects those critical Windows uh, system processes like LSAS, um, like logon, right, WinLogon. And this one prevents uh, those... those um, Mimi cats style attacks, so so dumping um, credentials. And what's great about this is, um, you know, you you may be able to sneak um, 
a version of Mimi cats or, or Mimi dogs, right, down to the system. But when it actually tries to dump the uh, LSAS, well, then this engine steps in and, and blocks that from happening. And of course, uh, would throw an event. And again, we can trigger all those other things we talked about in terms of automation. Um, another engine that was is pretty recent is our behavioral protection engine. And so for this one, what we're doing is, is cataloging behaviors that we want to uh, notify the customer about. For example, uh, let's say word launching PowerShell. That by itself isn't anything malicious, right? But it's something that probably shouldn't be happening. Right. I could think of a couple examples of word launching PowerShell, maybe some um, super user type sysadmin guys or girls. But really, if Word launches PowerShell, uh, that's something that needs to be flagged and dealt with, right? Right. So, so this engine again, it's it's behavioral protection. It's going to take those behaviors and find them, and then again, let's go trigger automated actions. Let's notify those kind of things. Is there some sort of I hate to use the word AI, but is there some sort of like machine learning AI kind of component to this that you know puts it together and, and explain? kind of shows that behavioral engine, these things aren't right. I mean, I, I know that one of the pieces here is the the fuzzy fingerprinting, right? Where if a, if a file has kind of changed its its hash a little bit, you know, added a, a, a byte to itself to make itself look different as it's replicating throughout the network, we use fuzzy fingerprinting to be able to kind of overlook that and say, hey, listen, it hasn't changed that much. It's very similar to this other file that we that we know about. Therefore, you know, it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, must be a duck. Right. Um, is is that kind of same idea and component in this behavioral protection engine in terms of trying to train the machine into knowing what to look out for? So we've got we've got two other engines, and one of those that you mentioned there <clears throat> does the fuzzy fingerprinting component of it. Um, the the engine that I also uh, kind of loop into that category there is our machine learning engine, and that one that one certainly does um, look at file attributes. Um, to understand, you know, hey, what are we seeing here? Um, do do we need to escalate this up? Those kind of things. So that certainly is built into the product. You know, machine learning, fuzzy fingerprinting, SHA lookups, behavioral uh, identification and protection, uh, memory-based attacks, ransomware. All of those kind of industry themes that we hear about and see in the in you know in the real world. That's all built into the product now. Wow. Sounds like, sounds like you got everything you need, at least, at least for now. I, I find it hilarious. Like when you were telling me about the, um, the piece about where the browser memory should be. And if the system tries, the system knows it's been moved, but if the malware mm -hmm. tries to access that location, it's a honeypot. It, it just blows my mind the amount of things that we need to do to defend against the various types of attacks. Right. Um, you know, I think the, the mantra still holds true that, um, Defenders need to be right all the time, whereas attackers just need to be right once. So it's it's incredible the amount of learning and information that goes into this. I mean, I know that you got organizations that are still dealing with recent breaches like uh, solar winds and everything else. Right, they're just still reeling with it. And then oh, here comes the next thing. Oh, there's a there's a issue with Outlook <laughs> Exchange Server. You know, it's like oh my god, <laughs> right. it just it just never ends. Um, and of course you can always go back after the fact and, you know, hindsight's always 20, 20, like, oh, well, if you did this and you had this and you did this and over here and you'd be fine. Um, 
but it's it's people you know people that are in IT, especially in the security fields, right? Uh, or if, if they're just wearing the security hat because that's the budget that the company has for it, right? You got to find ways to help yourself, and as much automation orchestration as you can do, do as many engines as you can have. And that doesn't necessarily mean having a bunch of products, right? Um, I have customers that come to me all the time, and they're asking about they they have this mindset that they want the best of breed of everything, right? So they'll they'll get vendor A for this and vendor B for that and vendor C for that because they're the top in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. And, you know, Cisco is usually there. If we're not number one, we're, we're close to it. But especially, we talked about this in the SecureX episode, and, and Keith, you touched on it a little bit here too. When you start putting everything under that single management umbrella, where there's not, not just management, not just a single, um, you know, pane of glass to, to look at everything and give you nice, feel-good, fuzzy graphs and, and charts, right? But being able to orchestrate and say, hey, you know what? This endpoint found this weird behavior based on an email or attachment that they got on an email that was that went through the email security and talked to this URL on this port, right? That's email security, firepower, umbrella, and uh, secure endpoint right there that have seen it. And if you've got a vendor in each one of those spaces, they're not going to talk to each other. They're not going to share any information. They're not, not going to, you know, work together on on try to isolate the endpoint. And you know, for the secure endpoint piece, let's say the behavioral engine didn't see it, didn't didn't see anything weird going on, but the email software just you know, the email security just happened to notice that. Hey, you know what? I rent I I ran that file through the uh, secure malware analytics, also known or previously known as uh, Threat Grid, right? And 30 minutes later, it came back as malicious. Or I, I saw that a year ago and it was fine, but now all of a sudden it's malicious. Well, let's get that endpoint isolated. What is an email security platform outside of Cisco going to be able to do to get that endpoint isolated and not talking to the rest of the network and you know the internet and everything else, right? Usually nothing, except for when it's Cisco. So, you know, I, I, I hate to turn this into a sales call, but... Really, guys, as 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 much as you can orchestrate and automate, you have to do that. I mean, I see it in my firepower logs on my home internet connection. We were just talking about this before we start hit record. All day long, my my firewall is getting hit constantly. You look at my IP address. I'm on uh, what's that? Uh, a Shodan. I'm on Shodan. All my services are listed there. They know. They they know I'm 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 and I've I've got everything on a on a static IP so I can't just hop around and, and hope that no one else will catch me right I'm getting hit constantly inside and outside the country and I don't want to be monitoring my security stuff constantly I don't have an IT department supporting me here <laughs> right. so whatever you can do to automate orchestrate and just have your products collaborate. I wanted to fit one more eight uh, word in there. Um, it's just going to make you safer. So I'll, I'll shut up now, Tom. I don't know if you had any questions or comments for, uh, for Keith here. No, I, you know, I was going to say that I think gone are the days of, you know, I just, I'm going to throw an ASA or a firewall up at the edge, put some, you know, generic brand antivirus on all the machines and call yourself done. I mean, you know, there are so many different attack services, um, you know, that to Keith and, and Brian, you know, your point that, 
you know, there are so many things that can be hit and they're changing every day. Um, so it, it does help, you know, that, that automation orchestration is very important. Well, you know, a lot of people are afraid of that, you know, like, oh, am I automating myself out of a job? No, man, you're just, <laughs> you're just making sure that not only do you have a job, but that, you know, when, when the S hits the fan, you know, you're ready to go. Um, and, uh, you know, to your point, you know, don't want to make this a sales call, but I, I find, you know, that I, I get that best of breed comment as well, a lot, uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of my customers too. And I say, look, take any scenario, take a scenario where you, you suspect you may have been attacked in some way. How many, how many portals are you going to have to touch to do that threat hunting? And, you know, the, the answer is usually, oh, well, you know, I'm like, I've got like five or six. I'm like, oh, all right, well, you know, with a unified, you know, solution, you're touching one or two places at the most and you can pivot between them easily. Right. It's it's going to save you a significant amount of time. So it's, it's, it's worth considering for sure. And when you say S hits the fan, you meant snowman, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. When Olaf, boom. Good old Olaf. That's when you, that's when you uh, take action. <laughs> oh God, I can visualize it now. <laughs> There's a carrot going that way. All right. There's, sorry. There's no children <laughs> listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. This, uh, this show has been rated R. Now, um, Keith, I, I, you know, I think this has been great. I do want to touch real quick on one, one more component. I, I didn't put it in the notes, so I'm going to put you in the spot. Okay. Um, Cisco, uh, what was it? it was C- CTR. Um, uh, it's SecureX Threat Response now. Thank you. So, so I have so, all yeah. the old names. I don't have the yeah, new. Well, the you new know, names. So. This is how long you've been at Cisco, right? It started off uh, being referred to as visibility. In fact, the URL still is yep. visibility. Mm-hmm. And then we changed it to um, Cisco Threat Response. People call it CTR. Once we've uh, created our, our our security platform called SecureX, we're now calling it uh, SecureX Threat Response. But, Which I'm glad they changed it from visibility because I accidentally would click on the other visibility link mm-hmm. in front of customers and be like, oh, wait, this isn't what I want to show. It's an internal tool. Uh, those at Cisco will get yes. what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, that's not something I want to show customers. So yes, no. um, but continue, Keith. I'm sorry. Right. So, so threat. What was what was abbreviated? Threat response. Part of SecureX. Um, this this is the component, um, and I think you guys talked about this on a previous SecureX episode. But this is the component that allows us to do um, threat. Res- uh, sorry, threat research or uh, incident response type type activities. Um, so I'm glad you brought this up because uh, this is a really good segue back to the automation piece, um, threat research. Let's start there. So um, Twitter, you know, Cisco Talos blogs, other vendors' blogs. There's so much information about threats that come out daily. Really, how do you stay on top of that stuff? And threat response allows you to quickly um, ascertain, um, am I protected? Am I already impacted by this threat? The way it does that is um, threat response at its core is an API aggregator. So threat response will connect to your uh, security products over API and um, ask questions of those products. So for example, if I'm if I'm reading a Twitter post about um, about a threat, um, and then I get over to the web page that has indicators of compromise listed or IOCs, I can quickly grab those, I, those IOCs, drop them into threat response, and click investigate. What happens there now is threat response first asks the, um, 
the Cisco threat intelligence, hey, do we know about these IOCs? Okay, so let's say they come back malicious. Yep, we know about them. They're malicious. So I can say to myself, where I have secure endpoint deployed, I know that those, in the example of a file hash, I know they would be blocked. Mm-hmm. The next, the other half of that question, though, am I impacted? So the second phase here is for threat response to go out and ask your secure endpoint deployment, have these IOCs been seen anywhere? Right. Okay. Have, have they been seen in my environment? So if they and what have, happened if they were? Right. So if they have, I'll start to see little um, icons pop up in the form of targets. So I know the I know these. Uh, we'll just use file hashes in this case. I know these file hashes are malicious, and hey, uh, they've been seen on two machines uh, um, in my environment. So from there, then then I've then I've transitioned from a threat research type activity into an incident response type activity, and then, then I'm just going to go right down the the um, the steps that you know SANS has published. Right. right. Um, identification, containment, right. Those kinds of things. Um, so really let's jump into containment. Let's, let's, um, understand what's going on there and then contain. And we already talked about isolation there. So that can, that can help me, uh, keep this threat contained. Um, so threat response is super powerful. Um, again, it is part of SecureX. It allows me to, um, go ahead and, and search my environment for, uh, these indicators of compromise, um, and, and really the power there is, is also leveraging the orchestration component. So right within threat response, I can trigger an orchestration, um, workflow or playbook, isolate this host, capture a forensic snapshot. Um, we haven't even talked about the capabilities there, but maybe I want to send an email, post into a team's room, um, create a um, ServiceNow ticket. So you can start to string all of these activities together in orchestration, and I can trigger those from threat response. So super powerful, um, doing the threat research, doing the incident response type activities. Awesome stuff. Listen, I'm sorry about all the hand signals. My wife is down here. We got someone at the door. The dog's barking. I think I heard Keith's kid or uh, Tom's. I'm not sure who's. Um, So let's let's wrap this one up quickly. uh, Keith, thank you very much. I think this has been super helpful. Um, We'll be sure to post a link for your LinkedIn. And of course, reach out to him on the Discord server as well at K-Man. Keith, thanks a lot. Really appreciate the time. And um, we'll hope to have you on again. And uh, with that, I think we'll uh, we'll sign off on this one. This this time sooner than two years. Yes, yes. Ne- next, yeah, sooner than two years. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening to Conf T. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>